I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. There's nothing to investigate unless you have evidence. I'm trying to get to the truth. Hello and welcome to Hooked on Redemption. I'm Gordon Hayden. Coming up, we'll be speaking to one of the show's stars, Ian Lloyd Anderson, whose character Niall Kilduff finally makes his appearance. Plus, we'll be going inside the writer's room with screenwriter Susan Connolly. But first, it's our deep dive with Serena Blissmo. Here are some of the highlights from episode four. I don't think Stacey killed herself. I think Owen Maloney had something to do with it. That's Kara. Perhaps you can tell me in what circumstances it is appropriate for an officer to threaten a member of the public. None. I won't make any excuses, Sergeant. Mom left me a voice message. She asked me to look after Kara. You dealing for him again, Kara? Stop. It's just this one time, okay? I promise. You were in prison for two years. Well, I'm here for them now. Stacy made me their guardian, not you. You think you should get custody? If you go near her again, you'll be sorry. Do you understand? <laughs> And there's a little bit from episode four of Redemption. And joining me, as always, is Serena Bellissimo for our deep dive. Serena, we were just actually saying before we even started recording that this episode, there's an awful lot of emotions at play in this one. Like there's always emotions at play in Redemption. But this one, it was very front and center. Yeah, I felt like this was the episode where we got the emotional payoff in a lot of um, Colette's life. So, you know, we got to see what was going on with her and the kids and they got a little bit closer. There were some um, obstacles thrown in the way, but we saw their relationship progress. I felt this was the episode. I keep going on and on about this character. I don't know why she's my favourite, but I love her colleague, Siobhan. Mm. And I felt in this episode, we finally understand why she's there, right? She's there to actually... They created that bond because that bond means that she's going to be able to help um, Colette out with the Maloney case. Mm-hmm. And I also felt there was a bit of an emotional payoff between Colette and the Sarge. She got her first ever compliment from her boss. She did indeed. Now, yeah. if we rewind it to last week and it ended on that cliffhanger where Owen Maloney, he shows up like a stalker. Uh, well, he, could, he really was, wasn't he? Because he, he was yeah. watching Colette's movements and he followed her to the, the warehouse, which remember she had the key and she was able to get into and into the warehouse and she's getting closer to the scent now. And eventually yeah. Maloney, he, he pulls off the mask and he finally reveals, yeah, I am the bad guy that you've been looking for. But he threatens her and she lets him know that she is not going to be a pushover. But what we see very early on in episode four is that Owen Maloney to try and counteract. It's almost like a game of chess. Mm -hmm. He then reports Colette to her superiors. Yeah. Now that was a bit of a shock because I remember at the end of last um, episode, he turned around and said to her, you know, 
Uh, people have threatened me before, but I'm not the one who walks away with the regrets. So now I think he's going easy on her and going, okay, back off. Here's what I'm going to do. You get your chance to back off because I'll report it to your superior and hoping that that might actually put a stop to it. But the superior, Jane, um, actually said something really interesting as well because she was like, well, look, this is serious. This is going to be a caution on your record. But what's worse is if OCG actually finally finds something to get him on and get to, uh, take him to court, I can guarantee you he will bring up this misdemeanour and say that the police have had a vendetta against him. So that's why this misdemeanour is actually a massive one in the eyes of her sergeant because oh, this yes. could throw whatever case their colleagues have on Maloney. So that carrot has been dangled. Will Maloney get off the hook? We're hoping he won't because he really is a bad pill altogether. Now, one of the things that we've also been discussing on the podcast is from a writing perspective, if you were almost to look at the the show in kind of layers, like you have like story A, which generally would be Colette trying to get to the bottom of her daughter's death and also trying to forge this relationship with her estranged grandchildren. And then there's also like a, a big second story, which is her life now in Dublin as a detective. And we get the crime of the week. And this week's crime of the week is there's a theft in a Dublin city centre hotel. There's a couple. They're up from the country to watch a match. And 400 quid has gone a missing from their hotel room. Do you know if you're going to be able to find who did it and we can get it back? Yeah, I mean, 400 euros, 400 euro. Yeah, we'll try our best. I was a bit like Colette when this was first introduced because when Colette and Siobhan were called in by... um, Jane to say, look, you need to go out and do this. They were both going, I'm really sorry. Why are we going to cover this really simple crime? And I didn't know where they were going with this. Mm. And I just went, okay, just just follow it along. And it was really interesting. There's always, it's not just the crime. There's always a layer to it. Mm. And the layer to this one was the fact that this has more to do, this really doesn't have anything to do with the theft. This has to do with some trafficking that's going on. The maid that was arrested was from Romania. It was really interesting when she finally got a translator. We knew that something was off. Like, I don't understand Romanian, so I didn't understand what she was saying. But you could tell even as a viewer that I don't think this lady is really translating word for word. Siobhan came up with the idea of maybe we run this by a guy in our unit whose grandmother is Romanian, see what he says. We find out that the translator is actually in cahoots with this. So this is more than money. Is this, again, I'm going to do it. I do this every week, Gordon. I'm going to link this back to Maloney. Does this have something to do with the OCG that he's attached to? Hmm. Well, again, if it's organised crime, human trafficking, and like that, you've got these two women, the maid who's working seven days a week because we find out that this woman is being worked to the bone um, within the hotel because like that she's been trafficked and she's under a severe amount of duress from this gang. She's also been asked to get into these rooms and rob whatever she can. And as you say, then turns out that the translator is also working for this gang and she's another victim and she's also under an awful lot of pressure, something you would not have expected. That was an interesting little twist altogether. So it's very much within the realms of possibility that Maloney's fingerprints could be on this. It'd be interesting to note that if his fingerprints aren't on it, 
would this story then, when we look back at it, be maybe surplused requirements? Yeah, well, see, the interesting thing is usually with the other stories we've spoken about, like the second story in the episode, it's usually, you know, finally wrapped and gone, okay, and this is the conclusion. There has been no conclusion to this one, Gordon. Mm. We've sort of been left hanging. So it'll be interesting to see whether they address it again in episode five and six. Very true, actually, Serena. Yeah, because if the maid, for those that remember from watching it, if she doesn't fess up to who the gang are, she's going to take the hit, essentially, and she's the one who's going to deal with the, the jail time. The DPP shouldn't have her prosecuted. She's a victim. Yeah, but if she won't testify to coercion, she's no defence against the theft. She's more afraid of the traffickers than she is of prison. It happens all the time. Oh, well, it happens all the time. This is bullshit. I mean, the victim goes to prison and the real scumbags get off scot-free. Organised crime will put pressure on Elise and the hotel manager, so hopefully we will find out who the traffickers are. Then maybe Hannah will cooperate with us in the future. Still bullshit. Just to kind of now delve a little bit more into Colette and what she has going on in this episode, because there's going to be a real tug of war now. We really start to see this between herself and Stacey's ex-partner, not Maloney, but the, the father of her children, Niall Kilduff, who's played by the great Ian Lloyd Anderson. And we'll be hearing from Ian a little later in the podcast. And so he's come back on the scene, Serena. Now, he's got a few skeletons in his closet, but he's he wants those children. And he doesn't strike me as a bad guy by any means how did you view him well like on the surface i thought oh look at this this is a lovely dad who you know went off the went off the rails or went off the radar really for a little while um he wants his kids back i i'd be a little bit apprehensive but it wasn't until colette being colette she was using her police skills and started looking into him because I like the way they met. He, she met him at his place of work um, at a call centre and said, listen, let's not put the kids through this. Let's try and solve this. And he was like, yes, let's try and figure out a way to make this work for the kids. And then he was sort of trying to say, you know, I didn't come back because there was stuff going on in, in London. She's like, hmm, Her Majesty's prison service in Manchester. Is that right? Yeah, I imagine Her Majesty's prison Manchester to Dublin must have been a hard transition. Right. Stacey did say once you were with the police. Have you told the kids? No. Good, look. We just thought they were a bit too young to understand. It was a fight in the pub that cut out of hand. First time in trouble with the law and all. But you were in prison for two years. Kids haven't heard from you in so much longer than that. And there's more to this than meets the eye because he said it was something ridiculous. He's never had a criminal record before, but he was put away for two years for a drunken pub pub brawl. That doesn't sit well with Colette. She thinks that there's more going on there. So I don't know. Could he possibly have been linked to what was going on in Stacey's life? There's definitely more going on there than we know. Um, but by the end of the episode, it started off really nicely. But by the end of it, we see him waiting at her door, surprises the kids, and he means business. He's, he's going to take those kids. He doesn't care that Stacey has put Colette down as, you know, the person she wanted the kids to grow up with. It definitely was a power play move by just waiting for the kids outside the door 
they get back. They're just overjoyed to see him. So for him, it was almost like checkmate. I'm going to just swoop in there. And Kaleidos also had to deal with a social worker calling over to the house in the episode as well. Do you remember her? And She wasn't nice at all. Like, I was really upset about her. Oh, my God. She looks like she worked for the Stasi. Do you like a copper? No, thanks. Are Liam and Cara here? No, they're at school. Good. Let's you and me have a little chat. She was even looking at mm, these judgmental items. She didn't pick up the the breakfast plates from earlier on. Hey, Click do no right by her. No, no, I wouldn't want that social worker in here on a school day either. Gordon, my place, she'd be so judgmental. Um, but then she also tried to catch her out. She asked where the kids were. And she's like, well, they're at school. That's good to hear. Um, so, yeah, and then this isn't going to be a simple case. The social worker said this is just the beginning. There's like three or four other, you know, visits that we're going to have to do. Um, but she was also going- casting aspersions. Sorry to cut across you, Serena, yeah. about because Colette works in a very busy environment yes. like a detective. Essentially, would she be around to give the ch- children the caregiving that they need? Yeah, that that really upset me. You know, questioning a woman about whether or not she can uh, work and look after kids in this day and age is just like, mm, yeah, no, that that really got my goat, Gordon. Oh, I could well imagine. And absolutely true. Yeah. Um, And then the kids, because the kids, you know, like they've got good heads on their shoulders, you would think. think, because think. Liam seems yeah. like the one that is very protective of his younger sister, yeah. Cara. You know, you, you think Cara again, she seems like very independent, not someone that would easily be manipulated or taken advantage of. But we do really see more to this now, Serena, that Liam discovers something that, hang on a second, Cara is being coerced. Yeah. Well, mm, is she, Gordon? There's a part of me that's going, is she? I don't think... She's as innocent as she seems. Um, I'm just going to take this back just a little bit because during this episode as well, we're talking about relationships and Colette did go out of her way to um, have dinner with the kids and ask them uh, to both bring their boyfriends home. Now, I think she was doing that to get to know Ross because we know that Ross has a CD pass. We're not sure what's going on there. And it was going really well. Like the kids were all enjoying it. They had a great time. Then she brought out a bomb Alaska. She made a joke and I was like, oh, my God, Stacey used to cook this for the kids as well. And there was a really touching moment where Cara and Liam were upstairs watching some home videos and um, Colette went in. And, it, like, I have to say I shed a, shed a tear when they were talking about um, Stacey and it was really nice to hear, uh, hear that Stacey didn't hate Colette. Cara said to it, like, Cara gave her the biggest gift she could give her in saying, you know, Mum didn't always hate you. What do you mean? I told mum I hated her and she said I used to say that to my mum too and I didn't actually hate her. So I was like, oh, my gosh, are things actually going to be okay? I think, you know, the kids are going to want to live with her. Everything's going to be great. Yeah, this is redemption. Everything's not going to be great. We then see um, Liam just have a breakdown when he they're leaving for school and he finds drugs in Cara's backpack and then, he sees Ross turn up to the school grounds and he they get into a fight. Colette is called. Now, this was really heartbreaking as well because, you know, Colette's there dealing with it and then Liam is just trying to say, look, I was looking out for mum because he was saying really bad stuff. And she he starts saying something and he says, I just want to, he thinks, Colette's thinking that he's going to be talking about Stacey, but she said, he says, I just want to help her. Mum asked me to help her. It's the last thing she and then he stops himself. I'm just mm. like, so Runa, 
talking about your mum now anymore. We're talking about Stacey. And then she, she, I thought she handled this really well. Did you see she didn't push him though, Gordon? She just let him talk. Yeah. She's now got a good gauge of how to deal with the teens. In a way, even though she's their grandmother, I think she's behaving like the mother that she should have been to Stacey through the kids. I think that's what we saw in this episode. And then, you know, as they were driving, I can't remember, something happened and she just turned around and said, a lot of people would be better off if they stopped lying. And then that was almost like the key that Liam needed. Like there was a message he needed to hear. And then that's when he blurted everything out to Colette. Ross has been dealing in school. Making Kara help him. She promised Mum that she'd stop. But I found drugs in her bag this morning. And like pills and stuff. And that's when you saw she went all Liam Neeson, didn't she? Liam Neeson take it. She did, because when Liam does open up to her about Kara, the drugs, and she wants to know where exactly Kara is, and they come across Kara and Ross at some makeout point. Oh, my God. You see Mama Bear coming out front and center. Yeah. And, you know, Ross tries to play all innocent and stuff, but she, she's she got his number. She knows what he's doing. And then he turns a bit sinister. Mm. And he's like, no, you know, I'm not scared, whatever. And she's like, let me be very clear to you. Prison is not what you need to be worried about. I went, oh, my gosh. She has taken inspiration from Liam. And she said to me, she goes, it's something I'm paraphrasing here, but it's something along the lines of drive home safely or drive yes! safe or something. Yes! Prison is not what you need to worry about. Do you understand? You drive safe. My God, what's that supposed to mean, Colette? What are you going to do to his car? So that great relationship, she started to get back with Cara. Sort of that is thrown into disarray. And that's when they arrive home and see the dad. And it's just... Yeah, so I think next episode we're going to see the ramifications of that. But, 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 Gordon, is Cara, those drugs that Colette is carrying in her boot, mm-hmm. that Siobhan found, we need to talk about that in a sec, did those drugs belong to Stacey or are they Cara's? Was Stacey actually trying to protect Cara? Now, that would be a great twist. Oh, I love that, Serena. That would be fascinating if they decide to go down that road. A mother trying to protect her daughter who's gotten way in over her head. Because then that makes you think, who's Ross then possibly affiliated with? You know, because we're kind of looking at the father, Niall. He's got skeletons. Could there be some involvement there? This man is looking for redemption. Ross, could he be some sort of pawn or foot soldier? Yeah. For an organized gang. Maloney, mm-hmm. do you know what I mean? Like, for example, if Ross had been going out with Cara for some time and he's a foot soldier for the Donnelly gang and he's obviously dealing and then he knows that well, my girlfriend's mother's a nurse. If we're looking to get a way into this oxycodone, if we want to get some of that, here's our route in. Swooping on Maloney. I know we're getting all speculative here, but potentially could that be where it's going? Well, that's one thing because, again, really interestingly enough, um, Colette brought up during the episode as well that after Siobhan had found the drugs as well, like that's the interesting thing as well, but she had brought up that Stacey hadn't been done for the oxycodone. She was done for something, a a drug starting with T. I can't remember what it was. So that's what 
I sort of went, is it, is it maybe not Stacey? Is it Cara? Oh, I think it'll be probably episode six when that eventually yes. is revealed, if that's where it is going um, at the yeah. moment. But what a great theory there, Serena. And let's we'll, finally, finally, then let's get into the, the relationship with uh, Siobhan and Colette, because, again, it's just a very simple little thing that happens. Siobhan um, asks that there's, there isn't a car ready for them to go off um, to uh, to deal with crime of the week. And so they use Colette's car. Siobhan is just putting her bag into the boot. And then lo and behold, it com- comes across the actual sports bag. And lo and behold, she finds all the oxycodone and the rolled up notes. And they do have a real heart to heart in the car. So for you as a fan of Siobhan, what did you make of that scene? Serena? Oh, I loved it. I really loved it because Siobhan was trying to keep it in. And I think she lasted a whole 30 seconds. Why have you got a bag of drugs in the video car? Oh, fuck. And she heard call it out. And I think this is where you see that their bond was beneficial to, and she didn't try to manufacture that. It just happened. But that bond has led her to not want to rat um, Colette out because she does turn around and she says to Colette, this could be career ending stuff. And Colette's, Colette says, yeah, look, I get it. But she explains the situation to her. And then she says to her, and this is what I really admire about Colette as well. She says to her, but please, if you need to tell, go and tell Jane. Like, mm-hmm. I, I won't hold it against you. And then she turns around and says, no. And that's when Colette repeats to her, this is career-ending stuff. So mm-hmm. it'll be interesting interesting to see there. I like that she has her on her side. I'm sure we're going to get the male colleague involved as well somehow. Like, he was there looking after Lee and when... Good old Patrick like, Farron, the, the love, love interest. Yes, yeah, so though he hasn't too. If something doesn't happen between the pair of them, I know we've only got two more episodes to go. If, if this does eventually become a series two of redemption, more redemption, that um, we might just see something blossom there with herself and Patrick, because he does seem like a, a really good guy. I don't think there's any skeletons in his closet by any means. I don't know I, if you picked up on anything. In this I don't episode. know. This episode, I didn't. But remember last episode, he sort of alluded to the fact he burnt too many bridges but Gordon before we end up on this can we talk about we haven't seen episode five yet but I saw a teaser to yes. next week Maloney I don't know if Maloney is back but his spirit is hanging around because next week Colette has managed to track down another woman who Maloney is dating and she is petrified and that's the same woman I think it was in it was last week she's in her car she's on a, almost like her own little mini stakeout and she spies Maloney getting into this high powered BMW yes. with this business woman it seems and I think she was a pharmacist wasn't she was that yeah 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 so that was last you're right that was last week so we had a bit of a break from her this week but next week I cannot wait to see what's going on there yeah, there's a lot to play for. Will be It'll be intriguing to see what the dynamic within Colette's household is going to be like, because now that Niall is back on the scene and if things are incredibly frayed again with Cara, will Cara now just be completely switched off to Colette, even though it was looking like it was going so well? That relationship is like snakes and ladders. Every time you think it's progressing, yump, down they go. Exactly. And I wonder would the same thing happen again now. Well, especially if Colette turns dirty. Because Niall did say to her, Stacey and himself had decided not to tell the kids that he was in jail. So it'd be interesting to see what happens there, whether Colette uses that as a trump card. Oh, can't wait to see that. Serena Blissman, always a pleasure. We're two more episodes to go before it all finally wraps up. 
Pleasure talking to you as always. And I'll chat to you on the next Hooked on Redemption. Thanks, Gordon. You can't just take the kids without telling me. Stacey's not here anymore, and I have to do what I think is right. Stacey had called the Women's Crisis Centre. She was afraid of Owen. I need you to stop seeing Ross. Get the fuck out of my room! What do you know about Stacey Lockley? I recognise her. That's Owen Maloney's new girlfriend. You may find her, but I'm talking to you again. Now on Hooked on Redemption, it is time to talk to Ian Lloyd Anderson. Ian, always a pleasure to have a chat with you. And your character, Niall Kilduff, he finally makes his appearance in episode four. But there's an awful lot of ambiguity around him. Now, of course, you know his character arc. But can you tell us what he was like to play? Because on the surface, he is trying to keep a lot of his personal life hidden. Yeah, no problem. It's it's one of them where I think, I mean, because you, 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 I mean, first and foremost, your your main, you focus on playing the character, and that's the most important thing. But you do, you have to be aware of story beats and things like that. So you're trying to maintain the fact that, as you say, you know, I know his arc, but an audience doesn't, and there's no, you know, you see, so you have to be, there has to be some form of, um, you, you've got to leave a question mark over him for an audience. You know, think it's very easy to kind of get so kind of engulfed in, oh, no, I know his character and he's not this guy or he is this guy. You totally focus on that. But if there's no question mark over him, there's no danger. If there's no danger, there's nothing really at stake. Do you know what I mean? And mm-hmm. it's all about kind of constantly uh, going back to the scripts and going, okay, although this mightn't, mightn't or might uh, centrally involve me, what are the stakes here? What are the sta- What are my own stakes as a character and what are the stakes within this scene and what are the stakes within the story itself? Ian, I have to ask you, what was it like sharing scenes with your redemption lead, Paula Malcolmson? I'll tell you what, uh, she's um, she's a tour de force. Like, um, She's really like, she's, like, she's a brilliant actor. You know, aside from that, she's a really good head. A really, really good head. She, like, she's as sound as you'll meet, but she's very committed to what she does. Uh, very committed. Like, she's just all about getting it done and getting it right. And I met I first met Paula at the, uh, I think we had a little bit of a sort of a mini rehearsal with John one day and with Abby and um, young Evan. And um, it was, she was brilliant. She was brilliant. She was she straight away was really open and she wanted to kind of, yeah, I mean, she'll fight you in a scene and she'll go back and forth with you. But no, she's, do you know what? You gotta remember, you gotta always remember when you go into these things sometimes, you're going in, you're, you're, you're working with people who very often have more experience than you. Mm-hmm. I think if you're an open enough book to kind of accept that and, you know, you're not going in carrying ego or anything like that. Someone like Paula is amazing to work with because they give you so much in the team. And you realize that. And, and you also, you just, you never stop learning from people like that. She's done a lot of American television, so it's a different style of work too, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, even just in terms of how you are on set. She's a fantastic actress. She's re- really brilliant at what she does. And I... I loved her. Like I, I, she's hilarious. Well, she's just, she's just brilliant. She's really, really brilliant. She knows how to lead a, lead a cast. She knows how to lead a TV show, and she, she knows how to do it the right way. You know. You think you should get custody? No. I'm sorry, but no, they're my kids. They're not kids anymore. They have lives. They have boyfriends. Boyfriends. Well, looking forward to getting to know. Stacy made me their guardian, not you. I think there's a reason for that. I'll see what the judge thinks. Yeah. Look, I might have been away, 
for a bit, but you've been gone most of their lives. You barely know them. I mean, if the powers that be wanted to go for a second series of Redemption, would you be open to it? I mean, yeah, I mean, if you're asking me, yeah, as long as, as, long as Niall is, uh, is back, yeah. But, uh, <laughs> oh, I, um, I do, I agree. I, I think there's plenty more, I, I think there's plenty more rope there. Uh, I really do. I think it's, there's, there's an awful lot more you could do with it, you know, and I, I, there's a real story to be told. And I think you could, you could develop it an awful lot more. It's really, you know, it's a really strong cast in this show, you know. That's, that's the really impressive thing to me, like. And those two, those two brilliant young actors, Evan and Abby, they are, I mean, they're fantastic. I mean, I, I, I think Abby has done a small bit of work beforehand, but young Evan, I'm not sure he's done an awful lot. I mean, he's, he really impressed me. They both did, both did. And, you know, yeah, if they could get Paula back and they, they wanted to go again, I think most people would jump at it. Ian, great talking to you, and we wish you all the best with the rest of Redemption. Thanks, Gordon. Fine, man. Thank you. Did your mom ever mention me? Sometimes, yeah. She said you threw her out of home when she was 17. I looked for her for years. She didn't want to be found. So you just gave up on her? I tried everything. She just disappeared. Now, want to find out how the writer's room operates on Redemption? Well, let's find out. Here's my conversation with screenwriter Susan Conley. Susan, I suppose straight out of the gate, how did this project come your way? Like Sean Cook, he's the creator of Redemption. So how did your involvement in in the series come about? So I've um, been very lucky with my screenwriting to have met some very helpful kind of generous people um and one of those is is sean so from from my understanding at least this is what i was told when he was um working on redemption something that was important to him was to kind of pay it forward in terms of um he'd been given chances and shots kind of early in his career and with his own show it was you know really important to him to to do the same thing so he was looking for someone who um maybe was trying to get their first credit or their their second credit and uh via that search um came across me um via my agent so my agent kind of talked me up but obviously it's uh all that talk is only as good as as the work that you do so um sent one of my kind of original pilots uh to be read um which they really enjoyed um and felt that we might be a good fit um and went from there so And was there many more hoops to jump through? Like, for example, did they get you in the room with your other co-writer as well, Noel Farragher? Um, I'm not pronouncing his name right. Were you then kind of put together to see how you guys would work or, or was there any other element to the process? Yeah, so there's always meetings. Um, I think most of, of screenwriting is meetings more than it is the actual writing. Um, so I uh, had a chat with the producers, had a chat with Sean, and then we all got together for a week to, having read, obviously, the the pilot um uh, to talk with Sean about the structure of the series and where it was going and um, kind of plan all that out in, you know, both a loose way, but also as specific as possible um, so that we all knew we were on the same page there. I always kind of imagine our writer's room almost being akin to a group of detectives trying to figure out uh, some sort of crime. I can imagine post-it notes up, some sort of big arc of where the whole thing is going and then all of you trying to connect the dots, essentially. And what is that room like, if you could paint the picture for us? Well, you're not wrong, except this was in the heights of COVID. Um, So I was in Dublin, Sean was in London, Noel was in a, a different part of London, the producers and London's big, you know, so uh, 
there was no room. There was a virtual, a virtual Zoom room um, where we we essentially tried to do that. We tried out a, a bunch of different kind of uh, whiteboards, you know, that we could put like virtual post-it notes on and and things like that. Um, so the the physical reality of the room wasn't. I think close to to it, but I, in terms of the process, you're dead right. It's you know there's a lot of interconnected thinking, and um, it's a little bit like a jigsaw. But you know some of the puzzle pieces can fit in different spots, and you're just trying mm-hmm. to find where the best spot for that puzzle piece is. Um, and it's very collaborative as well. You know, you 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 have an idea, um, which might be the wrong idea, but by talking about why it's wrong. Mm-hmm. you realize what the right idea might be or someone else realizes what the right idea might be. You know, I think the the really important thing is to to not be precious about your ideas, you know, because it's all part of a process. And obviously it's it's very helpful as well if people are, you know, which they were in this room, you know, open to bad ideas, you know, mm-hmm. that it's not that you're wrong or bad for coming up with something that doesn't fit because yes. it's it's all going to bring us along that journey to what's hopefully going to be very special. Now, I remember, God, back in the midst of time, I listened to an audiobook. Was it Robert McGee? And it was like story. Was like story, the, yeah. Yeah. And it was kind of like the, one of the Bibles for, for screenwriting. Mm-hmm. And he kind of really breaks it down almost like a mechanical process of which certain things need to happen. Certain story beats need to happen after so many pages just to kind of keep people hooked in. When it comes to writing drama for television, you're talking about an hour, then you take the ads into effect. Then you're kind of what, maybe 42, 45 minutes worth of screen time for the drama. So is there something similar in terms of at certain points within the script, an action needs to happen or some sort of big incident needs to take place? So I think for as many screenwriters as there are in the world, there'll be twice as many opinions on that question. I think now I, I a mathematician by trade. I love structure and I love, you know, rules and things like that. And I read all the structure books, um, mostly because I find sometimes you'll pick up on a piece of vocabulary that describes something you're already doing. And then once you have a word for it, you can start doing it on purpose, you know, mm. rather than by happenstance. Um, but I, I tend to be looser in the way that I do it the way I kind of feel about it is that every 10 pages which is maybe 8 to 12 minutes it should go dun 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 Mm -hmm. you know and what that dun 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 is you know it could be a stabbing right it could be a revelation it could be someone telling them you they love them it could be someone walking away and not saying you love someone you know it could be a kiss it depends on the story you're telling and the characters you have what that dun 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 moment is um and that's that's about as far as I go in terms of um, rigorous structure. Now there's different screenwriters who who do it differently and are very talented and it works for them. Um, and certainly I'm sure probably you'll talk to, to some people who'll be like, oh, absolutely, these things have to happen by then and by then. I think it's, it's all process that kind of ends up in the same place. Mm-hmm. Um, it's just about how you get there really. When you're writing a script off spec, you've got the luxury that you're writing to your own time. Whereas with something like Redemption, we have an air date. We're going into production. Everyone loves the pilot. We we get a good sense of the structure. So do you then have, when it comes to your writing days, do you not have the luxury of saying, oh, well, I think I might just turn out maybe five pages. There's a real case of, no, no, we need to get at least 10 of those pages from you today. Like what is a, a typical day like essentially? So I, I couldn't necessarily talk to other shows, but certainly with Redemption and, and other other things that I've worked on, um, it's you wouldn't turn in, you know, 10 pages at a time because it's very hard to judge mm. 
the first 10 pages if you don't know what the last 40 pages are going to be. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, you can tell if this is good on its own and am I engaged and do I want to keep reading? But you don't really know, having watched then the full hour, am I going to be satisfied with that? what that 10 pages gave you? Uh, you very much want to be turning in a, as complete a piece of work as possible because that's what people can actually judge. Um, because, you know, setup only works if it pays off if that makes sense um so uh you know you might internally for yourself be thinking you know i really want to get 10 pages done a day so i can have the whole thing done in a week and then i can look back on it and and see what's working and what's not working uh but in terms of what you might show to other people you'd be turning in a a complete product now what you do do uh and what we did do on this is you know before we write a script is we write an outline you know so you know we come away from our, our writer's room and we've idea of you know what happens in each episode but an idea of what happens in each episode might be like an a4 page you know with um you know uh colette investigates you know uh she finds clues you know and then you uh you have to expand that out um and you you turn that into an outline where you go much more in depth and you you start to think about locations so colette investigates that might be three different scenes you know and you talk about where she is and what she's feeling and what she's going to find out and what it's going to drive her to do. Um, And then as a complete piece, you know, you would send that off. Um, And that would be looked at not just on its own. I don't know how they do it. You know, the, the, the producers and the script editors and everyone and directors and Sean, you know, who's doing all of this. I just have my little jobs and they have the big picture, but you have to judge it both as a, a piece of work on its own, you know, because people are watching an episode, but also in terms of the overall arc of the series, you know, is this good, but not right? Um, is this good, but actually now that we look at it, that section would look much better in an earlier episode, or maybe that should be way to a late episode. And they look at that outline and, um, and, you know, and you might even realize as you're doing it yourself, that something might be better somewhere else and you know Sean was very open I'd come up me like Sean I've been thinking about it <laughs> looking at this outline you know but you get to a point where you're pretty happy with that description of what's going to happen and what's going to go and then you move to the script but then of course when there's the dialogue and when there's the when something that's going to happen is actually described you have to go through that whole process again because it might be that someone had said there was going to be, say, an emotional conversation in episode three. And I also have an emotional conversation in episode four. But when they've actually written their emotional conversation, my emotional conversation has to change because yes, if course. they've already said that in episode three, sure, why would they be saying it again in episode four? They'd be saying something different. Yes. And so it's a very collaborative process um, where you you constantly have to be thinking about what's gone before what's coming after um, and how it all integrates together. Um, it's it's very different, as you say, to writing something on spec. If I'm writing a pilot, whatever can happen, you know, <laughs> it 
that's yeah. fine. <laughs> but when you're, but you know, I wish you guys were involved in the recent Star Wars films because it seems like they were just handing the baton on to the next person, and then off you go. Now you do what you want with very little care to what had come before it. It's, it, you know, what I mean. Like that's the thing. It's, it's so important that like if you're going to have numerous people, that you really are all on the same page, and that's really interesting. That what you could be writing could be completely different to uh, another scene, so you don't want to double up on 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 anything like that. Did you have the luxury at all, Susan, of knowing anyone who was cast in the show uh, in advance? I don't know if they were even at that point that you could nearly think of, Okay, I can I can see Ian Lloyd Anderson here or, you know, what I mean, I can see Mo Dumford in this role. And that that kind of allows you to think of their voice. Did you guys have that luxury? So you wouldn't have it. And certainly I didn't have it um, for I don't I can't speak, obviously, to what other people knew, but um, for the the outline and the initial drafts of, of episode four and five. Um, but, you know, tweaks are kind of ongoing, you know, tweaks happen during production as well. You know, so um, it's a case of a very simple example would be I might have written a scene to take place in an interrogation room. Um, but it turns out, especially with COVID, that maybe that room is no longer available. So you, you just get a, a phone call being like, uh, need that ch- scene changed for two o'clock um, oh. because we need to film it, but we don't have that room. And so you do those tweaks on the fly, which is, is super fun, I think. Um, but uh, during that process, you know, so the broad, uh, unacceptable draft, we would say, of, of the episodes mm. are done. Uh, and we we found out that Paula was coming on board, which was obviously amazing. Um, and Paula, you know, is is very experienced and very um, talented, you know, in her her job. Um, and so we did have a chance to kind of talk with Paula uh, about the episodes and about her character, which was really great, you know, because I think uh, I think it, speaking of Star Wars, I think it was Harrison Ford who said once to George Lucas, you know, you can write this, George, but I can't say it, you know. Yes. And when there is uh, an an actor as good as Paula, who's really inhabiting a character, you know, she she's the one saying the words. Mm-hmm. Do you know what I mean? So her her perspective is really valuable there. And we were very lucky to have it. Um, again, coming to the sort of the finish line with redemption, I love the fact that you know you you're, you're writing stuff on the fly, like like, and and I know that's very exciting. But my God, when that when you're hit with that, though, Susan, like the pressure, like how do you try to balance the adrenaline rush of trying to get this done in such a short amount of time, but at the same time trying to be creative? Like, do you nearly have to kind of, whoa, whoa, I need to take a few minutes here, like get my head together here now before I start, you know, typing all this down? Yeah, I mean, I think the the rule is you can't reply to the email the minute you get it. You know, you have to, uh, I think it's like um, when you're writing when you're like having a bad breakup, you know, you don't just like get your thumbs and start texting and like send immediately, you know, it's like not allowed. You have to take the minute. You can write the email. You're not to send it. You have to take the minute to be like, is this really the best email I could send right now? Now it's obviously different because a bad breakup is upsetting and and this is exciting, right? But mm. I think it's that same idea of just take a minute to breathe. Um, and uh, I think I think as well, I always think that, restriction in some ways breeds creativity do you know if someone says to you you can write anything you're kind of like oh great well what am, what am I meant to do with that um anything is a little bit too expansive but you know for example like an a scene that's meant to take place in an interrogation room but we don't have the interrogation room you know what the scene is meant to accomplish you know everyone's happy with the dialogue but you just have to think what are the little tweaks I can make here 
to have this take place somewhere else and still get the same things across. Um, and I, I, I find that actually very creative. You know, it's, it's creativity within boundaries. I find a, a really fun challenge. Dialogue, is that something that comes very naturally to you? Of course, it must, obviously, writing a screenplay, but getting certain characters' voices down, can that be difficult? It's obviously more difficult when there's more than just you doing the writing. So, you know, it's it's Sean's show. You know, he he invented all these characters. Well, most of them, you know, that obviously everyone who shows up in the pilot had a voice, you know, that, that Sean had put in there. Um, and so, you know, part of the job is being able to, you know, not just read a script, but pick up on those things and 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 do those changes. There were kind of some funny moments with obviously, um, you know, I'm Irish and, and Sean is is English. So I'd write something about like giving out or the press or the Delph. And he'd be like, Susan, what are you doing? And I'm like, no, it's it's fine. These these characters can say that. Now, Colette wouldn't wouldn't talk about the Delph, you know, but like the kids would talk about the Delph in the press. Um, so, they, you know, I, I contributed uh, some of my knowledge to, to the dialogue so when in we, that respect. So when people hear that in Redemption, they will know that was Susan Conley that was responsible for Absolutely. that. Absolutely. It's my, my, my main claim to fame there is the Irish slang. But I think as well, it's unrealistic to expect anyone to get everything right first try. Do you know, mm-hmm. um, you know, there were definitely times where where I'd write a, a piece of dialogue or, or something like that, and um, in the kind of review notes or something on it, um, Sean Sean would have some some comments or opinions. Um, I, I really won't hear a bad word said about Sean because it was always very constructive. It was always very kind, um, and and helped make the show better and make make me a better writer. You just have to have a thick skin. No one likes criticism, no matter how nicely it's said, but it's just part of the job. God, it sounds like not only was Sean the showrunner, but almost like a mentor figure as well, which is uh, which is great to hear. And can, yeah, I ask, can I ask you, Susan, just before we finish up, everything that you've learned from this experience on Redemption, going forward, is there something you would love to do next? Is there something you're working on? Like taking all this extra skill sets that you've acquired now working on a drama, working at this sort of pace as well. What would be the gig if you could get offered it now tomorrow? What would you love to be doing? You know, we'd all like to to step up and take those reins and, you know, run our own room and um, with our, our own creation and and take that that job on. And, you know, I'd absolutely be uh, very delighted to do that. But um, the reason I really like TV, you know, rather than necessarily writing novels or, or even film is it's that collaborative aspect of it. It's that you're not alone in your room reliant only on your own brain and your own imagination you know it's that you're you're working with other people who have equally brilliant brains that might be brilliant in a slightly different way than yours and and putting them together and, and coming up with something that's kind of um more than the sum of the parts uh mm-hmm. that's that's i think for me um really what the joy of the job if you're if you're working with good people that's really all you can ask for susan Connolly, it's been such a pleasure talking to you we will Follow your career with great interest, but thank you so much for chatting to us on Hooked on Redemption. And that's it for this week's podcast. Hooked on Redemption was presented and produced by me, Gordon Hayden. A big thanks to Metropolitan Films, Tall Story Pictures and Virgin Media Television. Next week, we'll have our deep dive into episode five. So until then, from everyone here, we'll chat to you on the next Hooked on Redemption. There's nothing to investigate unless you have evidence. You are too close to this. You know you are. I'm trying to get to the truth. 
Stacy made me their guardian. They're my kids. I can't begin to imagine how hard this is for you. What's going to happen to us? We're family. I'm not going to leave you. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns.